Alright, so we don't have intro music just yet, and also that in the future. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Everybody Eats pod. Um, I'm Alex, your co-host, and I was on the vocals, and I'm going to hand over to our host, Ninad Barbadikar, who is on the ukulele. Thank you, Mr. Alex Collins. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome <laughs> you listeners to the very first episode of Everybody's Eats. We're really excited to do this with you and hopefully we can provide a very comprehensive and enjoyable legal listening experience to you. So today for the first episode, uh, what me and Alex are primarily going to focus on is using the transfers that have happened in the January transfer window as a jumping point to discuss how these transfers have shaped uh, what is a very exciting league on season so far and will be for the rest of the year, I'm sure. So I suppose let's get right into it and talk about Lorient at the beginning because they've been the most active club in the transfer market in January so far. And to talk about their season so far in the context of the deconstruction and reconstruction of the squad. And, you know, Labrie, Regis Labrie has, has done a fantastic job there, hasn't he, Alex? Yeah, fantastic job. I think things went quite stale under Policia last year. Um, Lebris come in and put in a really, really uh, fantastically organized team. Great counter-attacking, really good in their block. Um, and I think they've had some some key players that he's kind of got, managed to get the most out of and extract um, real quality out of. Obviously, Enzo Lefer, everyone knows about. I think he's the the crown jewel of their, their team. But then I would say... In Dungo Tara and Terra Moffi, they had their uh, second and third most important players. I think Moffi probably a little bit more so than Otara. And unfortunately, they've both um, been taken away from them this window, which is sad. You know, usually you see these teams, I would say, kind of are having a, a bit of a fairy tale season to some extent, right? Maybe it doesn't quite look like that. They've fallen down the table a little bit. But yeah, to, you know, to lose your key pieces halfway through a season rather than at the end of the season, that often happens to these slightly smaller clubs it's it's a new thing happening with teams really trying to especially from the Premier League pounce on talent as soon as they can um but sad to see because I would have really loved to see what he could have done with this team ending up the end of the season absolutely and I think those two transfers really have formed a big part of the deconstruction that's happened in this window Dangwatara obviously a raw talent coming through this season scored six uh, scored five times sorry this season and made six assists in league on uh, very exciting talent cutting in off of the right using his left foot and and some very interesting shot selection and he's still young so he's still underdeveloped in that sense but you know Bournemouth are getting a very exciting player I think he's one of those exciting wingers right he's got that like long limbs sort of rangy explosiveness about him um, he can be a bit sloppy as you said there's a bit of rawness there can be loose with the ball at times um, but it at the same time, I think he's also very clean with his striking technique. Um, whether it be pa- passing, I think that's one of the more impressive sides of his game. He's a really good through passer down the channels. Um, but at the same time, also quite a good finish, I think, from what we've seen. Um, they've got a, a, and of course, with that sort of athleticism as well that you add out wide and someone who can, he does like to cut in a lot, but can also kind of cut in, you know, quite far later down, push to the violin and then right cut inside from inside the box already. I think there's a there's a player with a lot of different skills there that Bournemouth have obviously brought to their club, but at the same time has been taken away from Lorient. Absolutely. And I think Lebris' system has really suited his his style of play, at least in, in the early stages of his career. Now, uh, Lorient's direct and sort of counter-attacking approach has managed to help him sort of add some sort of end product to his game while still being raw, of course. He currently has, I think, the third most chance-creating carries in Liga, which means that every time he carries the ball a certain distance towards the opposition goal, he manages to either create a shot for himself or set up a pass and a ch- create a chance for one of his teammates, which I think is fairly impressive. Uh, we'll quickly move on to the next big signing, of course, that has happened uh, from from Lorient, which is Tara Moffi leaving to join Nice. Uh, who's had a bit of a resurgence this year after, of course, having a down, bit of a downer last season. Uh, how impressed have you been with his with his year, Alex? I think Murphy's always been quite an impressive player. He obviously himself had a down year with Lorient last season after a very impressive first season with them um, under Pellissier again in their first season uh, back. 
I think he's always been a player that one of the things you'd say about him incredibly intelligent, whether it's his movements, um, his anticipation from inside the box, um, and also his shot selection. I think what we have seen before in him is he does have a little bit of nice link-up hold-up play in him, especially with, you know, sorry, one-touch flick-ons around the corners and stuff like that. But I think what I've been really impressed with him at Lorient this season is we're seeing far more of that sort of dropping in behavior, better hold-up play that has more of a complete game than I did anticipate from him. Um, I think one of the things he still probably needs to work on is being a bit of a better passer, especially over longer distances. And maybe being able to really add to that like clean tech in terms of those deeper areas. I don't think that'll ever be quite his game. But he's been used incredibly well at Lorient. Even though he has been overperforming his numbers a little bit, I think there's still a lot of talent that you can see there. He's added a lot outside of the box, which is a bit more new to him. Um, and I think moving to Nice, they can really build a good sort of team around him. Obviously a weird club with what they've been doing recently, but he's a good signing. No, I agree. And I think Lorient have sort of done well to extract a great deal of transfer value from both of these players because Otara went for about, what, 20 million pounds and then Morphy has gone for a, a loan, but which is going to be turning into a mandatory transfer for about 22 and a half million, which is, which is, I think, fantastic business on their part, mm. which will in turn obviously help with the reconstruction of the squad that's happened this window with some of the key arrivals. Uh, the headline arrival, of course, is uh, Jean-Victor McKengo, who's returned to Liga from Udinese for a uh, for a sizable fee, I'd say. You know, in Lorient's perspective, of course, uh, he's he's the record transfer, I believe, in for 30, 13 million euros, and that's the sort of total package that he's arrived for from Udinese, which is which is quite interesting. He he is sort of a box to box midfielder, adds a different profile to Lorient's setup, uh, quite different, I'd say, from Lefay and Laurent Abagel, normally the two nominative midfielders you'd see in their starting eleven. So I think having an option like Makengo is quite interesting for for Libri, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a nice addition of quality. I'm interested to see how he does. I haven't really followed his development since he left to Udinese in the first place. Um, I think you've watched a little bit bit more of him than I have, so you'd probably have a better idea of what he's going to offer the squad. But I think that sort of box-to-box ball winning, being able to affect things, and especially in transition-based things, which is... Probably my favorite thing about um, Libri's team is just how well they attack in transition. It sounds like Makengo, from what you've told me, kind of fits that box in terms of well, box to box, but box in terms of being able to <laughs> affect does, yeah. play in those <laughs> in those transition moments. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think th- there is definitely that aspect to him. There is a lot of athleticness to his his play. And again, you know, what stands out is not just his defensive work off the ball, but also going forward. You know, he is. He, he is comfortable being quite direct uh, in terms of attacking box-to-box play and, again, linking in wide areas. Uh, and, again, one of his attributes is that his ability on the ball in terms of carrying the ball and dribbling past players. You know, he's averaged, what, 1.5 dribbles almost per 90, which is quite decent for Serie A midfielders uh, over the past season. So, in that sense, I think, again, adding that little bit of uh, different sort of variance to you know, Lorient's midfield profile. We'll talk next about, you know, another player that you're more familiar with, Alex, Roman Favre, who's, of course, joined uh, Lorient on a on a loan deal for, for the rest of the season. Talk to our listeners a little bit about him and what Lorient fans can expect. Uh, yeah, of course. I think a lot of people came to know Favre from his really impressive spell with Brest, where he was very much the main man. But it's interesting that you kind of speak about, like, Makengo coming in and being a different profile because in the midfield because Favre himself is I think quite different to Atara um is going to be probably filling in for him in terms of playing on the right and being the that player there but you know he's not quite the same profile I think he's going to be a lot more pass and delivery based Otara obviously did have that in his game I think but far less so and from not from the same areas that we get from Favre I don't think he's going to be that 1v1 threat that Otara was Maybe Makengo can in some way replace that 1v1 in the middle. I don't know if that's something that sort of balances out. But it's going to be interesting to me uh, seeing how, you know, these different sort of profiles, how Labrie manages to adapt the squad in that way and and the, the system going forward. Uh, for Favre himself, I still think he's a very good player. Things didn't quite work out at Lyon. It doesn't quite have that like 1v1 threat to play out wide sometimes feels a bit more like a midfielder, but then also lacks certain qualities there. So he's a bit in between positions. 
But I think when he becomes a bit more of a centerpiece, and we'll obviously see if that happens at Lorient, where they already have Lefebvre being like the center of what a lot of their play goes through. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But I'm 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 excited to see him maybe get starting minutes, which I think he will definitely be a starter. And yeah, find his feet again. A lot of these players are adding sort of different profiles to what Lorient already have, which is quite interesting to see. Let's let's quickly move on to their third arrival, which is of course Bambadieng from Marseille. He's waited for his chance to be a starting striker in Liga for some time now. And of course, you know, he's had the opportunity now to move to to Lorient, which is around for a fee of what, seven million euros, which I think is fantastic business, which could potentially rise to ten million even. But given his age profile and given the talents that he has already shown at Marseille in his brief time, I think this is a really good deal for for Lorient, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Bamba Dieng and have been for a while. I think this is a really good move for him personally. Um, in a way, he offers a lot of the same things that Terra Moffi does, but at the same time, they're very different players. What I think is I could see Moffi being more of a player that does suit a, a very possession-based system. Don't really think that that suits Dieng, and that's maybe why he never really got that breakout sort of spell at Marseille, despite being very effective in the minutes that he did have. <clears throat> What I'd say that he has a similarity, he's also incredibly intelligent in his transition movement, very, very quick mover as well. So he has that, that pace plus that off-ball intelligence and it comes together really well. He also just harries players, harries defences. I like that sort of player, to be honest. And I think it, it suits the, the Lorient system very well. I can see him being a very dangerous spearhead to their attack. So I think personally... Um, despite being a little bit clunky and whatever, I think he's a player that does offer a lot of output and that's a great it's a great signing for, for Lorient. Definitely, definitely. And I think to close off this section about Lorient, we do have to touch on another youth player that you are quite excited to <laughs> see get first team minutes, Alex. Ayman Kari, who has moved on loan from Paris Saint-Germain. Talk to us about him. Yeah, it's quite a weird deal, isn't it? He's moved on loan with an option to extend the loan. I'm not actually sure yeah, if that's Lorient yeah. or PSG who really have that offer, or if they both have to accept, but it's an exciting move nonetheless. He's 18 years old, midfielder, probably the second most highly rated midfielder coming out of their academy, behind a certain um, Warren Zaya Emery, who he is two years older than and not quite as good at, uh, not quite as good as. Um, but having said that, I think he's a very exciting player to, to watch and see him develop. From what I have seen, um, he's got a big frame, um, lots of mobility, but crucially, incredibly good under pressure, incredibly good at carrying and dribbling, um, good pass, and also seems to read the game pretty well, at least at youth level, um, being able to you know clean up, clean up attacks, restart them again, whether it's carrying or a pass. Um, I think he has that sort of profile that can translate really well to... Um, to Ligon immediately, especially given the physicality and athleticism he already has. So I'm excited to see how he how he adapts, and I think it's a it's a very talented player that they've that they've brought in. Maybe to be an Enzo Lefebvre, not the same sort of player, but an Enzo Lefebvre replacement in terms of being that jewel in their midfield, because Lefebvre will probably leave in the summer. There you go. Lovely stuff. Some excellent business there for Lorient. <laughs> and I think we've set the course for the rest of the season. And I'm I'm sure they'll still remain there or thereabouts for European uh, contention come the end of the season. So we've already discussed a little bit about Bombardier and Teramoffi, obviously. And I think it's only right that we move on to Marseille's business next, because this could have been a potential swap deal between the two clubs, which of course didn't turn out to be. Uh, Pablo Longoria... Alex, he's been he's been doing some very interesting deals. Uh, yeah, for at, at Marseille, <laughs> he has been busy, hasn't he? Uh, some very exciting arrivals and some, uh, I'd say, sizable outgoings. Um, you know, what has he been? What has he been doing at Marseille? Yeah, I think the one thing about Longoria is he does seem to always be busy. I think he's good at extracting value. I think he's good at looking for loans, looking for loan arts. Um, he's a very interesting director of football slash club president to sort of follow. Um, but yeah, one of the ones that kind of caught my eye is Luis Suarez after coming in in the summer, already going out on loan. Apparently that has something to do with Dieng ending up staying in the summer when he was, they were trying to ship him out, had to share minutes. I'm not sure exactly why he's gone now back to Almeria and Spain, um, for minutes, but he has, even though Dieng is also gone. Um, other two players that have gone out, Gerson and Papagay, neither really, which really worked out, both showed a lot of talent. 
And then there's, of course, Isak Toure, who came in also in the summer, but he's going out on loan. He's a 19-year-old centre-back just to get some experience. Um, I think this is, you know, always very interesting to see Longoria in terms of what he does. Um, I think there is maybe some elements of, you know, financial balancing that that has gone into this. Um, but also, I think players that didn't really suit Tudor and, and Gerson and maybe Papagay as well. And he's brought in some really, really exciting players. I think on a good note, Unahi's a bit younger than the general players we've seen Longoria bringing in, which is a good sign for the future. And also only in, what, about 10 million? So a really good deal. Um, it's interesting to see where he's going to fit into the side. Um, I can kind of see him being an alternative to Ferretu, potentially in midfield. Ferretu, a bit more of a controller, where Unahi's obviously, everyone saw at the World Cup, great dribbler, great carrier, someone who can really make things happen in the final third and, you know, bringing the ball into the final third in a dynamic way. Um, I'm not expecting him to replace Veritu right away. Maybe I think also Veritu's been playing very, very well. Him and Rongier both have been really good, haven't they? Yes. Rongier is also a player I think has been, both are quite underrated players. They're very solid at that base, right, I think. And and it's actually harder to displace them than than I think people think, given their reputations. Um, but yeah, I think Unahi kind of might be that answer to what Tude has been struggling with, um, with how they use Gunduzi. Because Gunduzi is also someone who kind of roams, and I think that's what Unahi is going to do. But the problem with Gunduzi under Tude is he hasn't really been as good as he is at controlling and roaming. So he's kind of between what Unahi will offer and what Veritu has offered. He doesn't offer that final third sort of threat, that extra dimension there as much. So... I think Unahi might be the answer that Tudio was looking for in that position. Yeah, but, but enough about that side of the pitch, which is the left we're primarily, I think, talking about. There's also, obviously, I think, probably a bigger name signing, Ruslan Malinovsky, who you being a bit more of a Serie A watcher will definitely know a lot more about. So I'll, I'll, handle, I'll hand over to you there. Great. Yeah, I mean, Ruslan Malinovsky, I think it's, it's a very interesting transfer. He's fallen out of favor a little bit at Atlanta and I think needed a sort of, uh, change in his in his career so far, and I think Marseille is the by far a very perfect place for him to come to, uh, because again, Atalanta and Marseille both sort of three at the back systems, and then allowing him uh, to have a role in the final third alongside the likes of Alexis Sanchez and, like you said, Matteo Guendouzi, also sometimes operating those areas in in the front line is quite interesting. Malinowski is is your all encompassing sort of technician of the ball. He he will. Uh, sometimes be the striker he'll sometimes drop deeper he will link play he can strike the ball really well uh, and again his creative underlying numbers are just you know have always been very very healthy so I think he's a he's a rather excellent addition um, 29 years old so again there is some uh, there might be some classic Longoria you know, deal then <laughs> yeah 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 exactly more classic I wanted to ask though I think one of the things that interests me about the deal is that he does seem to be a player who's going to be playing a bit narrower on the right, if I'm correct. I think you would say a bit more in the half space, which I think maybe opens up those lanes for Jonathan Klaus, obviously. Maybe one of the key players, I think it's it's not too controversial yeah. to say at Marseille, in terms of going forward, certainly. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. As well as, yeah. So I think I think maybe, you know, as an alternative to Senkez Undo, who likes to cut in, but obviously does start from that like high wide position that maybe does get in Klaus's way. Do you think that maybe having Malinovsky really spaces out that attack a little bit better and has yeah, a bit more of a so. needle player? I think so. I think so. I, and again, I think he gives Alexis Sanchez a little bit more freedom to drop deeper, which I think he likes to mm. do. He likes to drop deeper and then collect the ball and then go directly at the setbacks. So again, he he can sort of be a little bit more disciplined in that position, allowing players like Klaus, like Alexis Sanchez. And again, I think just elevating the game of others around him, which is something that he has been good at at Atalanta. And, you know, Marseille bringing him in for uh, on an initial loan deal, of course, until the end of the season is, is a smart deal. And again, they also have the option to sort of make the deal permanent at the end of the season. And I believe the clause is around, what, 10 million euros, which I think is fine, which, you know, again, given his mm. age and his profile of attack and what he'll bring to Marseille is, uh, is really good. And of course, there is one last signing that has happened that we haven't really been able to touch on because, to be honest, Alex doesn't know too much about him and neither <laughs> do I. So it's Bettinia who has arrived from Braga. Uh, he's apparently really highly rated. So we'll see how he fits into Marseille's front line, which is, again, has been a large part of 
I think Marseille's overperformance under Tudor to a certain extent this season. Do you think they performed better than expected, Alex, this season? So I don't know the underlying numbers. Actually, I'd be interested to know if they have been overperforming um, according to those metrics. But in terms of performance, um, I didn't know too much about Tudor coming in. He has been a lot better than I thought he'd be, or Marseille have been a lot better than I thought they'd be. Because uh, even though they were overperforming their metrics last season, I thought Sampaioli was still a big reason that the team itself was overperforming with the quality of players that they had. And obviously I thought Sampaioli was a big loss when he did go. Um, and then things started off really rockily with Tudor. Like there was a bit of mutiny in the squad. Some players weren't happy with him, but he's really steadied the ship well. I think he's he's got a fantastic sort of playing style that he's he's using, especially the width with how he uses it um, and those little connections in the half spaces, which I think obviously Malinovsky and Unahi are going to add a lot to. So I think he, they've been fantastic and they're really good money for being third place in the league at the moment. Um, yeah. No, yeah, they've they've definitely been impressive, and I will correct myself. I did, uh, did th- I did say that you know their attack has been a large part of their whole performance, but in fact, it is their defense which has <laughs> rather been impressive or too impressive even. Uh, they've conceded, uh, you know, a significant amount of chances this season. Uh, in fact, what seventeen point eleven or open play xG according to Opta. But they've only managed to concede eight goals out of that record. So that's at least, what, nine goals they should have conceded that they didn't. Which, again, I think points to, yeah, uh, their sort of defensive solidity at times, being able to, you know, get out of those situations where they could have conceded previously, but they haven't this season. Which is, yeah, fine work by Tudor, I guess. Yeah, I think they're good. I mean, I want to credit um, the Arsenal fan. I mean, wants to credit... Nuno Tavares for whatever sort of defensive side of the Does game. Does he even defend, Alex? Actually, That is the but question. But he's not really. He's kind of having his bail season right now <laughs> and playing at left wing at the moment. So maybe I have to just credit Kolasinac. Um, <laughs> that's better. <laughs> Let's move on to the team that's actually a number two. I think a far more exciting season, personally. Yeah, yeah. Racing, Racing Club de Lons under Frank Heiss have been have been really, really impressive this season. I think have really pushed Paris Saint-Germain for the, for the league on title. And again, have been, you know, have been really impressive on the back of losing a number of key players, wouldn't you say, Alex? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I was actually wrong earlier this season and he's, Frank Heiss has proved me, yeah, has completely proved me wrong in that I thought that they might actually fall back a bit after a really good season last year because losing guys like Czech de Cure, Jonathan Klaus, Arnaud Kalamundo, who was obviously on loan from PSG, um, are big players to lose. Um, maybe, you know, I would say all in the top five most important players that they had last season, Seko Fofana obviously probably being the most important. And I did see them falling back, but they've actually just managed to replace those players fantastically and actually even perform better this season. Um, yeah, I think it's a big credit to Frank Hayes, who is one of the best three at the back coaches in the world right now. I think he often with three at the back systems, you you struggle to have that kind of control in the opposition's half. And that's not been the case at all for Frank Hayes. I think one of the big things about him is he has a very good possession-based system that is still very threatening and, and manages to sustain control um, and pressure in the opposition half. And I think that's what we've been seeing from Lance throughout the season. Maybe they do lack that cutting edge in the box at times, um, I remember them against Lyon. We were absolutely punished by them, but they just couldn't put us away until they put. But they scored one goal right at the end, so for a one 0 But we were punished. It felt like a five 0 in terms of how we were just, you know, outgunned yeah. by them. Yeah, and I think again, adding uh, adding players like Adrian Thomason from Strasbourg, and bringing in Alan Hello Fulhini, uh, who I believe will be official by the time we by release this podcast. Again, these are two transfers that will only add to that sort of, you know, domination in the final third and being able to control games better, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's so interesting, man. I mean, a big part of their recruitment is just buying players from within the league or within the French Football League system. And I mean, obviously, Fulkini is coming back from Mainz, but he was obviously with Ange and maybe their key player before that. Um, and then Thomason, obviously, a stalwart of Strasbourg over recent years, a bit of like a budget Rams, yeah, sometimes feel about him because... He's someone who can get on the end of a lot of chances, intelligent mover from midfield, and sometimes plays in wide areas. 
but then at the same time, very, very compact um, and good, good in defensive situations, very switched on. I think he's someone that I can see playing in a number of positions for Lance, whether maybe be, you know, late coming on for Seko Fofana, but also in those two sort of narrow attacking mid roles behind the striker. Um, Fuhini, I think we were both speaking about earlier. He's more someone we see in those two roles behind the striker, but he'll add a lot. He's someone who can also very good, I think, will prove at least he never really had that opportunity at Anja, but someone who can control possession well and pick out his moments uh, with the technical quality he has and the creativity. Yeah, I mean, two very exciting arrivals, I think, towards the top end of the table. We'll quickly jump down towards the bottom and talk a little <laughs> bit about Strasbourg. Uh, and I think Thomas Owen is uh, a bit of a big loss for them. And alongside him, of course, they've lost Ludovic Ayok to Mainz in the January window. And, and again, of course, by their own volition, yeah. Julian Stefan has also been lost. Again, Maybe, yeah, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, I think that's the bigger arrival. Yeah, thank you for correcting there, Alex. You know, I think Julian Stefan is definitely uh, the bigger sort of headline loss that Departure. we're talking about. Yeah, and, of course, uh, by their own choice, but yes. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's a sort of unfortunate situation that came to be for him. You know, the the club sort of went on a really, really poor run of form this season and has been really poor, I think, for some time. It's a weird one, right? I mean, Julian Safan, I, I love him as a coach. I think he's very resourceful. I think he can coach in different ways. I think he gets a lot out of a lot out of the quality out of the squad, surpass quality, right, um, and performance. But it's weird when he goes on these losing runs, he really has proven now at Ren as well that he struggles to turn it around. And I can't have too much of an issue with... Um, with them sacking him, I am sad, and I think he's gonna. He's a good coach. He'll get another good job. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how how they manage to survive because they're not actually that far. I think they're they're in the relegation spots, which are four teams are getting relegated from the league this year because we're moving to eighteen spots next year. Um, but they they are in the relegation spots, but only what three points from safety? If that I believe so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird to lose. You know, York's also been a, a massive player for them over the over the years. I think he's got what like fifty one or so goals and one hundred and fifty appearances for them. Yeah, yeah, really, really um, impressive record. Like alongside Diallo, so even so, yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. Like, you know, they could they could, and I think going down isn't the worst thing for the club. They've got a lot of talent that can bring them back up, which we'll speak about just now. But it's interesting. Um, you know, if they feel like they're one or two points off, will they have regretted selling these players for not even particularly high fees? Um, Thomas on what for what six or seven million, maybe even yeah. five. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it will be interesting whether they do face the prospect of relegation. But to counter that point that you made, Alex, about the sales, I think they are also trying to plan for the future in, in terms of funding their renovation for, for the stadium. That's that's an ongoing process that has been for a couple of years now. So I think, again, that's just a little bit of planning for the future and dipping into the, the club's funds to maybe support and supplement other areas of, of the club that, you know, going forward will hold them in good stead. So, you know, the life post-Stefan is hopefully going to be better. Uh, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Um, and just in terms of safeguarding, because also you don't know what happens if you do get relegated with having Thomas on a York. Suddenly, those players aren't going to be with the same value and are going to want to leave anyway. So it does make sense. Um, I'm interested to see what happens. I hope they stay up. I like them as a club. But also, if they go down, it might not be the worst for the some of their players. They've got a lot more talents, um, young talent than I think people realize in um, Ishmael Takure and Habib Diara, two players that have already been um, in the first team and, and got lots of minutes. Um, but then there's also Tom Setel, who is a young left winger. I um, w- watched for the France under seventeens um, last year, but now he's he's still seventeen. I think eight next year in the sorry. I think next year in the in League Two could be a great breakout year for him, and he's a talented player. So they could, I could see them coming right back up. Yeah, definitely. I think number of talented players there to keep an eye on. We'll quickly jump to Ren. Alex, we'll we'll close the section with uh, with Ren because they've had to make some moves in light of Martin Terrier's long term injury. Of course, bringing in Carl Tokombi from your club Olympic Lyon. <laughs> Another winger talk to from Lyon going about <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but no i mean i think we, it's worth talking about why they have let him go uh why so why have uh you know leon let let Togo go alex 
I mean, I kind of half ask myself the same question because I think he's a player in the squad who has qualities that we don't really have and we are lacking, um, in te- especially in terms of being intelligent off-ball movers. We are lacking in that department. I would say Toko was the main guy. And then now we have Bradley Barcola, who is, you know, just coming through. He's only just scored his first um, goal for the club. Still 19, maybe 20 now. Um who's coming through and I think he he can replace that sort of movement but beyond that we don't really have intelligent movers maybe Musa Dembele but it's a bit one-dimensional his movement he still can stretch the play so I'm not exactly sure why we've let him go from that perspective but on the other hand I think when you look at one he's kind of been a scapegoat for the club um, for a while now I feel sorry from that I don't think it's particularly deserved even if he has had you know certain form struggles I think it's one of those players who those intelligent movers you get a lot of chances but then also miss a lot of chances automatically when your club isn't doing what that well you look at those chances that they do miss and you think ah you're the reason that we missed where really he's a big reason that we had those chances in the first place um I think it kind of did come to a head in a recent match he got subbed off after admittedly quite a poor performance and he was like kicking a bin in the dressing room or just as he was coming off the pitch um he's obviously very frustrated i'm happy for him in terms of getting a new move maybe a fresh start somewhere else and i think the other reason is also we are moving to more of a narrow shape sort of whether it's a four at the back or a three at the back we're having sort of shirky in the 10 roll behind two narrow forwards or or strikers one being lacazette and then the other one is kind of vacant right now could be musa dembele could be barcola uh we'll have to see um and i don't think I think Toko kind of does, could fill that role, but doesn't fill it nearly as well as he does coming off the left. So I think those things together kind of did lead to his exit from the club. Yeah, and which is, of course, a temporary exit at the moment. He's only on loan uh, yes. to to Ren towards the, until the end of the season, at least. And we'll see. We'll see how this works out for him. And of course, there will be the opportunity for him to start more often uh, with the exit of Kamaldin Sulemana to Southampton. And Jeremy Doku's rather inconsistent performances. So I think we can expect um, Toko to start more often there. To talk about Ren's own inconsistencies, though, they have been a little bit hit and miss, I'd say, around under Bruno Genesio off late uh, this season, Alex. I know you have some reservations about him. So please, yeah, enlighten us. <laughs> so obviously, I know Genesio very well from from my time supporting the club. And he, he was with us for many years. Um I think Ren started off very well. I think this is the thing with Genesio, for me at least, um, from a tactical perspective. I think what you can say about him as a coach, he's a great man-manager. Puts a lot of belief in young players. I think people look at Kamaldine and Doku and think, oh, he's not really believing the young players. I don't think that's true. You can look at Dewey, you can look at lots of different examples. Um, and he has always been like that. Puts a lot of faith in the players also playing attacking football. Having said that, it's kind of like a Real Madrid situation where the coach just puts faith in the quality of the the players he has at his disposal to you know um overwhelm and beats teams and it works for a while especially you get you give that freedom to the players but then also this is the thing that happens when you when you just have that like vibes based sort of system is that when the players go through their own little dips in form it affects the team far more than where there are more structured systems that play right because you're you're depending on the players form to actually win matches you're depending on love Romaya knowing where to pass you're depending on um Beauregard being able to to score cross in for goals you're depending on Guri or Terrier being available even and without that the system falls apart a little bit more so that's why you get this inconsistency under Janae so that we also did see during his time at Lyon um that ultimately led to him leaving after never really being able to take the the club, make it more than this, more of a some uh, more of a sum than its parts, right? That's something I think will be found out at Ren at some point. As having said that, he's done a decent job so far. Yeah, and I think again they've had a lot of I I I'd say a lot of I say significant resources backing backing Genesio. So I mean, having all all of these yeah, players and Ren- financial supporters <laughs> also. You know, quite. I think it's it's often missed out in league on discussions where people think PSG is the only club that's the sort of financial giant there. Ren are not too far behind, so 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, they're far behind PSG, but they're far ahead of others. I think yeah, them and Nice yeah. are both are both wealthy clubs. Yeah, in Definitely. their own rights. Yeah, the best of the lot, even. So okay, well, that's that's about it for for part one. I think that's a good way. That's a good place to end part one. And in part two, we'll take a deeper dive into Leon's fortunes uh, this season and talk about a club in crisis. So stay tuned for that. And we're back, listeners, for part two of today's podcast. And having already discussed um, a number of the clubs across the league and having, I think, set a good scene for what the rest of the season is going to look like for those teams, it's worth also diving deep into a club now, which we will, of course, talk about Olympic Lyon, having Alex here with us. But I also think this this part of the episode will give you a taster for what we are trying to do with everybody's eats going forward, which is really to give some interesting and insightful deep dives into clubs across uh, the league. And of course, there is no better place to start than the shit show, which is up here. <laughs> Absolutely. I think one of the things we spoke about, what we wanted to do when we got this together, was putting clubs under the microscope, looking at their tactics, looking at their recruitment, looking at the leadership of the club. Um looking at the stats and how that all comes through. And yeah, I think Lyon, we won't go as deep into that this episode, given how much we've already spoken about, but we will definitely, I think, speak about some of the key points, you know, the new ownership, um, the new manager and stuff like that. Absolutely. And I think, again, we started the part one with talking about transfers. It's also worth going through Lyon's transfers. There have been a few outgoings. We've already spoken about Toke Kombi, Roman Favre, but interestingly, Jeff Ryan Adelaide, has moved to Estaktois. Alex, what's happened with him there? Yeah, I guess what like the better question is kind of what's happened with Jeff in terms of his whole career at yeah. Lyon, which has been, you know, a mixture of unfortunate, unnecessary, and like a bit stupid as well. I think it's just really not worked out. He did come, I think, if I remember correctly, as our record transfer. I still think he is our record transfer, around 25 million. Um, and he started off well, I mean, wasn't immediately a starter, but getting a lot of minutes. And then really early into his career with us, he tore his ACL. Um, this was in 1920 season, was out for most of the season, did come back near the end of the season into fitness, not really match fitness, I'd say. Um, when we were in deep into our, um, as people will remember, our Champions League run against, you know, the likes of Juventus, Man City, I think he was ready about the end of Man City game into the Bayern Munich games. I didn't get on the pitch, of course. What kind of happened is we obviously, as well as we did in in the UCL, we did not do well in the league. We didn't qualify for the Champions League yeah. in the next year, whereas teams like Rennes did. And there were some other teams that were interested in him. Um, Rennes was the main one. And he really did try to force a move away from us at that point. I think he didn't get the best advice or whatever. But he really wanted to move to a Champions League team, I think, because he always moved to Lyon with the idea that he was going to go on to bigger and better things. And I think he is a talent that is deserving of those things. But I think he tried to fast track it a bit after an injury, said that we weren't playing him, which is really stupid considering he was injured. <laughs> he was out for like 200 days with a, <laughs> with that injury. Um, yeah. And we did stand by him at the time. I think that really put, put him out of favor with the club and the... The leadership of the club, Orlis, wasn't impressed. He did end up getting a loan out to Nice, where he tore his ACL again. And yeah, that was basically his season done the following year. So very unfortunate and very unlucky to have two ACL injuries. He came back to the club where he's kind of been bit part since, partly because I think the club is a bit fed up with him. I mean, even this season, he's kind of, he didn't want to go out on loan, which he's now gone to Trois because he wanted to prove himself at the club, but it was a bit too little too late. Personally, it's very sad. I've been a big fan of Jeff's since he um, came through at Arsenal, to be honest. I think he's got huge bags of talent. I think he deserved he deserved more playing time this season. I wish we'd kept him, personally. I think he has a lot to offer, but I think maybe it does make sense to sort of part ways. I'm surprised that he didn't end up going to Sevilla. I think that would have been a very good club for him, and it did seem like he almost went there. Um, but I guess he's moving to Trois. They, they've got their own sort of project as part of the CFG um, City Football Group and trying to, you know, maybe develop more of a possession-based mm. style. Um, but I don't think this is where Jeff envisioned his career, you know, even even mm. after or tr- like putting in a transfer request to move to Rennes a couple of years ago now. 
yeah yeah interesting move for him uh we'll we'll talk of course about Marlo Gusto which is I think the big big uh, sort of move <laughs> that has happened out of Lyon but we'll quickly touch on Tete before that Alex who has cut short his loan yeah. at Lyon to move to Leicester City yeah weird one so this was his second loan with us because we didn't want to pay the full price for him while well, the price that Shakhtar were asking in the summer and we thought well he can actually leave you know six months um early from his deal or whatever so he can sign with us on a pre-contract on a free so we don't need to pay I think we were trying to pay about five million and they were demanding 15 million so there was a big there was a big difference in um valuations um I really wanted us to, to sign him. I think he's a good player. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit sad to see him leave after starting so well when he came to us last season, following the whole, you know, Russia invasion of Ukraine. Shakhtar sending a lot of players out or releasing them, letting them go on loan or, or from their contracts, whatever, right? Um, I'm not as devastated as I maybe I would have been because I think over time it's become clear that Tete is sort of one of those rounded wingers that has like seven out of ten in a lot of different areas but he doesn't have the like nine or ten out of ten quality that can separate him i think one of the biggest ones is in terms of being a 1v1 threat he's very skillful but he doesn't have that explosiveness to burst past opponents which i think is huge to go from a very good winger to a top level winger i think you Nenad, as a united fan probably have similar feelings with anthony also a skillful player yeah, adds a lot of value definitely. but whether he's ever going to be that top, top, top player, you're less sure on because he doesn't have that explosiveness. And I think that's something that is to be said with Tete as well. I think he's a good signing for Leicester, though. Um, like I said, he's very well-rounded. He's skillful. I think he's a good passer. I think he is someone who can really make a difference in games. Um, he's got that output to his game already. Um, also, someone who likes to really play in those pockets and those narrow spaces can combine really well. That's probably where he's best when he's combining with players i really loved watching him and shirky sort of play off of each other um it's a sad end i kind of understand why he's leaving um he wasn't really initially getting too many minutes under blanc but then now recently has been but like we spoke about earlier there's sort of some sort of formation change and he doesn't really fit a system where there isn't a winger you can't really play play him at 10 you can't really play him at striker even if he does like to play narrow so yeah, I, we'll see what happens. I think he'll do well in the Premier League, but you know, um, he's not quite the like high high potential player I thought he was going to be when he first signed. Well, yeah, good luck to him in the Premier League. We'll we'll stay in England for now, and we'll talk about Malagusto's <laughs> deal moving to Chelsea uh, in the summer. But he is temporarily back on loan at Lyon. Alex, what kind of player can Chelsea fans expect? Yeah, um, I think they've got they've got themselves a very very good deal for thirty million. I think Malo Gusto is one of the best um, right backs coming through at the moment, and more than that, I think he's also very suited to modern possession based teams. Obviously, coming through the academy, he was he did come through as a midfielder slash ten, moved to right back quite early in his youth career still, but um, but you can still very much see that he has those midfielder like qualities to him, um, and he can play inverted. He can also play. On the overlap a lot, I think another thing that's really good about him is an incredibly good crosser and creative passer. And that is not only, you know, playing down byline or cutbacks, he can also play from, you know, in that half space, um, a little bit deeper, play those early balls. And he can play off both feet as well. He is better off the right, of course. Um, so I think there's a lot of quality there. Also a very, very good athlete. I think... I will say I'm happy that he's come back on loan to us, not just because it means we didn't, you know, we were losing our first choice right back, but also for his own development. I think he's still a bit raw in some areas, especially with regards to decision making, especially um, more so even in defensive situations, he can still be a bit attracted to always go going towards the guy with the ball rather than covering space, which is what you need that little bit more intelligence or, or understanding from your right backs, especially at the top level. Um, I would have said for him, the best would have been having, you know, not only this six months still with us now, but a whole nother year and then making his move, you know, age 20. He's still only 19 at the moment. 20 turning 21, I think he would have been ready to go to a bigger club. Um, I don't think he's quite there yet. And I think maybe how developed he is is a little bit overhyped. But he obviously is a huge talent. And for 30 million, it makes a lot of sense for, for Chelsea. No, yeah, definitely. I think considering his age profile and everything, your first, like you said, Alex, brilliant deal for Chelsea. And I do hope that he can take that next step, like you said, 
in the next six months at at Leon. Uh, we'll quickly move on to the incomings now, Alex. And I think these are these are a bit more interesting in terms of the direction of the club's recruitment this window. Dejan Lovren is the first one who's come into the club on an unknown uh, fee. So his return to the club, Alex, is it a happy reunion? <laughs> you know, it just feels very, it feels very representative of where we are as a club right now. I think bringing back one of the old boys, um, it feels like Oles doesn't have a very big phone book of contacts <laughs> that we're always going for players that played for us, what, seven, eight years ago. Um, I'm not crazy about it in terms of a signing. But, I mean, I guess it's okay. I've kind of talked myself into being fine with it. He's better than I thought it'd be at this age, you know, after leaving Liverpool for a couple of years. I still got, like, and he's a better passer than I remember him being. He's been good in that sense. Um, And he does, the last thing I'll say is he does add that experienced, like, head in defense when we've got Lukeba, who's also 19, Sinali, who's about 20, 21 years old. Um, Guys who are too raw. And I think moving to more of a three of the back shape, which it does look like Blanc once having him as that central center back does make some sort of sense. Another thing, maybe a bit of copium that I'm giving myself, talking myself into it is we have a really good <laughs> young center back coming through in Mamadou Saar. And I'm kind of telling myself, yep. Dayan Lovren's 33, 34 right now. Saar's what, 17 or so still. That the ages kind of make sense at the end of his contract at the end of next year. Um, maybe Saar can step in. But but we'll have to see. Um, I would have much preferred we were we were linked with Alexander Jiku, another Strasbourg player during their fire sale. I would have much preferred us getting him, but it is what it is. Um, at least we got a centre back in, I think, and he has to some extent at least steadied the team a little bit. Definitely, definitely, and I think moving towards the other side of the age spectrum. <clears throat> Leon's signing of Heronvein striker Amin Saar is quite an interesting one, I think. And like you said, Alex, Leon's like sort of tactical change off late, moving into a different system which incorporates a front two. He probably fits sort of into that shape. I think so. I think that's a that's a good point, especially if you look at the guys we've seen leave: Tete, Toko Akambi, even Favre, um, even Jeff to some extent. We're we're we've given away a lot of players who can play in wide areas or who are wide players. And I mean, Sa does fit more of that like center forward who can play out wide or can move out wide, drift out wide, right? Um, and I think that's what we're kind of expecting. He also, what he'll add is he's very quick and very dribbly. Um, I think that's sort of qualities that you can kind of use alongside Lacazette, who is kind of the fixture striker that we have. Uh, so I think he's a nice option. Um, I'm interested to see. I don't know too much about him. I'm interested to see what he can kind of bring to the to the club. One thing that does worry me a little bit, as we spoke about losing in losing um, Toko Kambi, that we're losing some of that off-ball threat movement. Um, looking at Saar's numbers, I could be wrong here. We'll see how he adapts to the club. But I'm not particularly encouraged by the low XG totals he's sort of putting up, um, especially in the Eredivisie where you'd think top strikers, even if movement isn't their main like aspect of their play, they'd put up better numbers. So I'm a little bit hesitant there. But yeah, mainly here, I'm just, I'm interested to see what, what he what he brings. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think that's another young talent that's coming at Leon, and hopefully will be able to use the club's platform for youth development for his own better. And of course, to close off this section, I think it's worth mentioning Jafinho's signing, who's coming from Botafogo. Which is, of course, relevant because Leon have had new new owners of late. John Texter has taken over the club from Jean-Michel Aulas. And Leon is now currently part of his football consortium, including clubs like Crystal Palace and RWD Molenbeek. Alex, I'll, I'll come straight to the big question here because I know you don't know too much about uh, Jefinho. Is Leon even really the central project? an open central club of, of this project that John Dex is trying to put together? Uh, it's an interesting one, and I'm not so sure yet. Obviously, we just paid $10 million for a 23-year-old wing. It was about 46 appearances and not too many, you know, non-exceptional number of goals and assists in that in that in um, in those appearances. So it's a bit interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see how it pans out. Um, w- the bigger worry maybe is the fact that there's Crystal Palace in there and I always feel like, I think that's something a lot of fans have been worried about too. When you see these like Premier League clubs, like this English Super League almost, is that it feels like everything is lower in the food chain. And Lyon 
despite being respectfully, I'd say a more historic club than Crystal Palace. Um, we're now sort of finding ourselves below them. I think the same thing you can kind of see with what we were speaking about earlier, Bill Foley's ownership of Bournemouth and Lorient. Right after buying Lorient, you suddenly saw Otara joining Bournemouth. I would say Lorient is a bigger slash more historic club than, than Bournemouth as well. And even Enzo Lefebvre looked like he was potentially going to move there. It's these sort of things that do make you feel a bit worried. Like, is Lyon suddenly going to become a bit of a farm? Are we going to see Lukeba join um, Crystal Palace after City or wherever by Guhi? Um, so these things do worry me a little bit. Um, having said that, I guess the other nice thing is we probably are higher than Botafogo and RWD Molenbeek in this food chain, if you want to use the those words and maybe that offers a good especially Molenbeek and especially if they make their way into the Belgian Pro League it's a good um place to send our players on loan and develop and you know collaborate in that sense which is what Texter has actually how he's tried to frame the purchase he's trying to say that there is no you know dominant club and he's going to treat all clubs you know individually in their own right I think these are things that a new owner coming in who already owns a whole lot of other clubs has to kind of say, he's not going to say, well, yeah, yeah you guys are unfortunately going to now be basically Crystal Palace's <laughs> B team. I'm sorry about that. I yeah. hope you enjoy my, my control of the club for the next however long. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I will add one last thing is that I think one thing I will say is it does look like his ownership. And I will say he doesn't own Crystal Palace outright. I think he owns about 40% of that club. He owns RWD, yeah, Martin Lumbiak. Outright, and what about 90% or something of Botafogo? Um, what I will say is those clubs all seem to be doing better since he's taken over. And obviously, that does give you a little bit of encouragement and optimism about where we can go because obviously, we the direction of the club has been really bad over the last five to 10 years. So, I think having a new, fresh approach will benefit the club. Uh, I just hope it doesn't lead to us becoming like the secondary team to Crystal Palace. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think it's important that you bring up the direction of the club over the past few years, Alex, because I think Leon used to be a leading sort of pillar in a lot of areas, you know, in terms of recruitment. You talk about data-led scouting and as well as, you know, actual scouting, you know, sending out, uh, you know, all of a lot of the significant resources in terms of scouting at the youth level and senior level even. And they're sort of, uh, you know, then now, I'd say, in transfer market dealings and just general running of the club. Leon used to be something you look at, you know, as a as a smart club, but they're not anymore. So how would you sort of summarize the direction of, of the club over the past few years? Yeah, I think you're right to say, I mean, we used to be a club that people looked at in terms of how to run a club, especially, you know, during the 2000s, the early 2010s even. Um, but I think it's quite clear we've become outdated in many ways. Um, I think we've particularly fallen behind in smart recruitment vis-a-vis other clubs not only do I think we've regressed slightly, um, we're not really picking out those young players. And I mean young, not youth, just, you know, players who are just coming into their senior minutes. We're not picking them out as, as early as other clubs are. Um, but we've also, other clubs have just become far smarter and put a lot more money into that, have have joined on in the data led and probably surpassed us. I think you can look at Toulouse, you can look at Lance, even I think you can look at clubs like Nice who maybe do have still the very odd purchase in them but there's also some intelligent recruitment I think at times that you see um, Lorient another one that looks like they're recruiting quite intelligently I don't think we are doing that um, and that has pulled us back quite a bit I think the other thing that I would say is um, coaching has become more important and so much more of a difference maker in recent years this is across the leagues but I think particularly in France, which has always, I felt like the insular nature of the league kind of has seen from a tactical perspective has seen us lag behind other leagues a bit more. I think what we've seen in recent years is both outside influences, guys like Bielsa, um, guys like Sampaioli, obviously one of Bielsa's disciples, Fonseca coming in now, um, these intelligent coaches from outside bringing new ideas, but also even the the coaches from within. And we've spoken about Reggie Labrie already. We've spoken about Julian Stefan. Despite how it ended there, I still think he's a class coach. Um, Geltier, I don't think he's someone who really revolutionizes it in any way, but he's he's a very good coach in his own right and has shown that at Lille. I think he sh- showed that at Nice, even though it didn't quite work out there. Is showing that at PSG and the fact that he has that job. 
Um, yeah. We still are lagging behind in that sense. I mean, when we're bringing in coaches like we'll speak about Laurent Blanc in a bit, but I don't think he's anyone. He's bringing something new. He's very much an old guard sort of coach, and I think old guard is another sort of thing to kind of describe Otis's approach and why we've lagged behind. I mean, I think one one nice thing that I always kind of go back to is when we signed Janino as our di- or hired Janino as our director of football in in May twenty nineteen. I think that was maybe Otis like opening himself up to modernizing and revolutionizing the club a bit um obviously mm-hmm. Janine came on with a lot of good ideas about data about scouting about you know about how to modernize the club tactically but I think the first thing didn't go so well was hiring Salvino um a manager who was with us for not very long went very badly um he got sacked then immediately you kind of saw Olis switching back to Rudy Garcia coming in who had just been fired by Marseille um, Juninho didn't want Rudy Garcia at all. They hated each other. I think they both still speak badly of each other. It's obviously a relationship that was in the ground. Um, but I think it just kind of shows that that immediate like switch back after it didn't work that well. And then after Rudy left, um, Juninho really wanted Robert De Zerbi. I think that's a some evidence of, you know, Juninho really still wanting to think forward, still wanting to bring out new ideas. Olas did want Galtier, who I think it would have been decent. But it's it's just this um this pushback between each other. The reason Olis didn't actually want Robert De Zerbi was that De Zerbi couldn't speak French, which I think is a very outdated way of of looking at things. Um, Agreed. In the yeah. end, what kind of happened was Bosch kind of was hired as a a compromise between the two because even though he was you know he brought new ideas from outside the league, had a mm-hmm. defined style of play, possession based style of play. He could also speak French from it, going back to his playing days um, in France um, and was then the first non-French player, non-French coach that we'd hired since I think the 80s, like 1982 or something. So I think it's a very big evidence of like there was some sort of shift and compromise there, but he also didn't go that well. Um, and even before him leaving, Juninho resigned in 2021, December, um, citing like a lack of control or autonomy at the club. So I think... It's quite clear things just didn't go that well. He never really felt that he had the reins um, from Olis, especially I think it probably does go back to that first bad start with Silvino. That's my own speculation. Yeah, some interesting points you bring up there, Alex. I think a lot of significant sort of events have led to um, the sort of decline of Leon in recent years. And given that context, how do you feel about Ola still remaining you know, as an independent director control in control of Leon at least for the next three years? To be honest, I don't feel great about it as much as I'm usually someone who likes some sort of continuity or handover, um, you know, especially when there's new ownership coming in. I just think it's been evident it's been going so wrong at Leon from a direction perspective for so long now that I would have maybe preferred maybe a year handover, but three years feels like and this is something Texter does say. He says he doesn't want to rock the boat or change things. He just wants to, you know, own the club basically and let it run as it is. But I think something does need to change. And I'm I'm going to be interested to see how Texter manages this because I'm not convinced that Olis is suddenly going to, or the club under Olis is going to change in the right direction and suddenly start operating smartly. I think it's been on a clear, gradual, bit by bit, like malaise decline for a long time now. I'm going to be interested if he sees like after the next year or maybe next year and a half, the club still kind of at best, you know, just stagnant, being stagnant and not really doing too much. If he's going to not come in and try to handle things a bit more. Um, I think one thing I did kind of glaze over a bit too quickly is that not just the recruitment and the coaching, but I think even just the how the club handles itself hasn't been that good. I mean, you look at you look at how we've handled contracts recently. We're not nearly as savvy as we used to be. And we yeah. had that reputation up until like five or so years ago. All this was regarded as one of the meanest negotiators out there, right? People Definitely. will remember this. Um, but I think like you look at guys who have left on freeze in recent years, Memphis, Denea, both Awa and Musa Dembele are going to be leaving on freeze at the end of the season. Guys who left way below their value in the last year of their contract. Fakir, Malo Gusto kind of is an example. He has you know, 1.5 years left on his contract now um, would have been one year at the end of the season. That's a reason why we sold him and why we sold him for only 30 million when he's, you know, yeah. one of the prized right backs coming through at the moment. 
Shoki is someone will be interesting to see. We're struggling to tie him down. He's coming near into the last year of his contract. I'm not sure. I think there is an extent option extent. Sorry, an option to extend there. We'll see. Um, but yeah, equally also selling off players like Bart and then bringing in Enrique for you know about the same sort of value. I think in terms of payments, um, Guiri losing him, selling him for seven million when we actually had a place from the squad. Um, Kalulu, another player who we sold off very early before, and we could be using him right now. So I think, yeah, there's a big aspect in terms of like just how we're handling our assets. And of course, this is how we've always made money as a club is through through our academy and through our recruitment and selling players on for profits. We are struggling to do that now. And that was a big selling point that I think Ole's had with himself for a long time. Yeah, I think a lot of problems, I think, off the pitch contributing to the decline of Leon as a whole. But on the pitch, there is a blank slate to talk about, Alex. <laughs> Is uh, is Laurent Blanc really the the right manager to lead this transition into the new era as it is? Because his contract is up next season, and his co- his tactics so far have been uh, a bit of a change to deal with, haven't they? So I wouldn't call Laurent Blanc the the right manager to lead the transition. To be honest, I think what he's come in to be is to steady the boat a bit. Things ended pretty badly on the bus. I think kind of the the squad was falling apart. Chief leaders like Lacazette were openly questioning bosses like methods and bosses tactics. Um, so I think Blanc's come in. He has definitely that authority about him to kind of, and it always felt very obvious that we were going to hire him at some point in our career because, you know, esteemed French <laughs> coach Michel Olas. Yeah. It just felt like a marriage that was going to happen, not esteemed. a happy one for yeah. us as fans, or at least for myself, but something that was going to happen, right? Um, and yeah, I think what he's going to come in, I, I do appreciate that we've given him a short contract. We did the same with Rudy. I think he probably, hopefully, will leave at the end of that contract. Main reason I say that is also because I don't think he's going to improve us to the extent that he will warrant, you know, extending. Um, And that's just because I think he is a little bit himself also outdated compared to the new coaches and how much better the league is tactically now. Um. And he's sort of a play a, a manager. You can put a lot of quality players together and get them doing something, right? But not necessarily making them more than a sum, the sum of their parts um, or being able to like adjust tactically on a game-to-game ba- basis, small tweaks and outsmart other opposition, like someone like Emery probably could do. So he doesn't really have that in him either. Um, so I would say he probably will leave, but he's going to do enough to to kind of settle things for now. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the future of the managerial position is even more so relevant because of the young spine that is there at the club, at least for the moment. Ryan Shirky, <laughs> players like Ryan Shirky, of course, that. <laughs> uh, Maxence Kakare. Does, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying facts, Alex. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm not trying to be mean. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of exciting young talent for the future forming a sort of young spine at the club now. You have Ryan Shirky, who we've already sort of touched on. Maxons Kakore in midfield, Castello Lokeba at the back. And, yeah, you know, a lot of these players are sort of form, are hopefully going to form the future of a strong Leon, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. I think I think what we have is the saving grace is the academy. As I've said, I think you, all of those names you named were academy guys. We've also got, got Bradley Barcola. We've got Elaruch, if he can ever get a minute <laughs> to play. We had Malogosu sadly leaving. Um, I think those are the guys that we're trying to go through with. One thing I think we did do well at the beginning of the season, and I kind of did doubt it at the time, but my opinion on that has changed, is bringing back guys like Lacazette and Toliso. Because another thing at the club was this malaise and like the professionalism. Um, and that was often spoken about specific, especially within like um, Lyon fan circles. I think the club recognized that Lacazette definitely brought back more of a leadership quality to the club. And I think... It's good for the guys like Shirky and Lukeba, Kakare himself, who's com- coming through, you know, is touted to be a captain of the club one day if we manage to have him here for long enough. Um, I think, yeah, building around those players is key. Um, I think maybe Blanc is doing that specifically with um, with Ryan Shirky right now because the role, the way at least I interpret it is with us having the sort of either 3-4-1-2 or 4-3-1-2 formation is that one behind the two strikers is Shirky 
gives him a lot of freedom to do what he wants to do, um, to roam out into areas, to to be creative through the center. I think one of the things that I've, I've always seen Shirky as more of a 10, because what he does lack is he lacks that acceleration to really be like that elite of elite wingers. But he has pretty much everything else in his game. I think he's incredibly good. Technically, I, it's hard to think of players that are even match him, let alone on better. He's one of the few players that I think pairing that with his sort of a high level awareness, 360 sort of awareness of, of mm. things around him. He's one of the few players that can yep. still play in the hole as a traditional sort of 10. Um, he's obviously he's also got a very, while he's not ex- like incredibly um, fast player, I think he's quite a strong player. He's got that stocky sort of shape. That means he can ride challenges pretty well. And when you pair that with his ambipedalism, it's it's a great mix where he can just dribble through crowds without getting knocked over, being able to go whichever way he needs to. So I think this is turning into uh, an ode to to Ryan Cherky, <laughs> but basically he's incredible. I mean, if you've watched the last few games, he's he's creating like ten plus chances per game, which is which is exceptional. I think it it also is a sign that we're basically just trying to funnel everything through his creativity at the moment, um, and we don't necessarily have the off ball movers for him to really find. But but yeah, I think he I think he's an example of Blanc really trying to build around the squad. Obviously, that formation also suits someone like Maxans Kakare. He has a bit more of a free role, um, as uh, alongside often Tolisso. I like him a lot alongside Lepinal. Um, and then we'll see uh, with Lukeba either playing the you know left centre back in a three or in a two mm-hmm. at the back. Um, yep. Yeah, I think those are sort of the key players that we need to build around. I think we still do have an incredible academy that, you know, is definitely one of the top three in the country. And and I think that's our path back to to being great. I think we need to improve our recruitment. Let's see if someone like Texa can really achieve that. But yeah, right now, Blanc isn't doing anything exceptional with the side. I do hope that we stick with the four at the back shape rather than than the three personally i think because it's a better better foundations to go through for next season as well but but yeah we'll see we'll see what happens yeah we will indeed and i think the hope is that john texter's new ownership will harness the already sizable potential of leon's academy combined with his financial resources and hopefully the two of those aspects can uh, combined to hopefully leading for a more successful future for Leon. I, I mean, at least I do hope so, because I I, I care about Alex's well being as, <laughs> as his friend, and uh, I do hope that his, you don't want this part to end before it even started. <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there you go, listeners. That was uh, a quick sort of uh, taste of what we can offer in terms of a deep dive towards clubs and uh, i think yeah. it was it was it was only right that we started with uh, with leon yeah it ended up being a bit more of a rant about the club than maybe it should have been but next week we will be um looking into rem with will still and seeing what he's doing there i think they're now 14 games unbeaten um and he's he's really turned around the club but i also think it's a very interesting club to look at from a recruitment perspective they have been for a long time and they've also got some really cool players one of them on loan um, following Balogun, who's demanding a lot of attention right now, but they've got other guys like Nenad's favorite Ito, um, guys like Munetsi and Matusiwa. So yeah, we'll get into that next week. Well, there you go, listeners. That was a <laughs> little, neat little spoiler for you for next week. Uh, so thanks, Alex, for that. Uh, but you know, if you've stayed with us all this while, listeners, thank you so much for your time and your patience. We hope that you've appreciated all of the little um, droplets of league on knowledge that we'll be able to provide and we'll see you hopefully next week for episode two which will be all about start the runs so see you then take care